The following podcast contains spoilers and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Criminal Adaptations, the show where we take a look at some of your favorite movies and the true crime stories that inspired them. I'm Remy. I spent over a decade working in the film and television industry in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Ashley. I'm a clinical psychologist and forensic evaluator in the state of Oregon. And welcome back to season two, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. We sincerely appreciate it. Season one down, the start of season two begins officially with this episode. How are you feeling about it, Ashley? I'm stoked. I've been dreaming about making this episode all week long. Yes, that is a perfect segue into what we will be discussing today, which is the tragic story of Selena Quintanilla, which hopefully I will be pronouncing that as correctly as possible, but please forgive me, I did not do very well in my high school Spanish class. And did you know anything about this story before we decided to do it for the show, Ashley? I knew very, very little. I knew Selena was an iconic singer and that she died way too young and was murdered. I did not know anything about the murder, who killed her. And other than that, I just knew there was a movie made starring Jennifer Lopez. And that's about it. That is about where my knowledge starts and stops with this film as well. I remember seeing advertisements for it when I was a little kid. I never saw it, but I was always interested in it. I didn't really know who Selena was, and I was always fascinated by these stories of famous people who were taken tragically and too soon. But I never really did get around to seeing the film until this past week, actually. But I'm pretty sure we knew a little bit about the star of this movie, Jennifer Lopez, having seen her in quite a few films throughout the years, and most likely we'll be covering her in a future podcast for the film Hustlers. Were you a fan of Jennifer Lopez in the past, or are you currently a fan of Miss J-Lo? When I was younger, I was definitely a fan of Jennifer Lopez. My favorite album was, I think it was called J-Lo, the remixes, and it had like the two singles she had with Ja Rule, I'm Real was one. And I can't remember what the other one was called, but I was a big fan of that album. And just as kind of the years have gone by, I definitely do not keep up with her discography, but I do enjoy her movies. I I think she's fun and she killed it at the Super Bowl. Yes, that was an amazing performance. And unfortunately, I don't have a clip of that particular performance, but I do have a clip from the 1999 FIFA Women's World Cup of Jennifer Lopez singing, Let's Get Loud. And that is just a little sample of Jennifer Lopez's singing capabilities. But now, without any further ado, I think it's time for us to return the focus onto Miss Selena and get this show on the road. What do you say, Ashley? Yeah, I'm excited to hear about the making of this movie and especially the casting. There was much more to the behind the scenes of this film than I had originally anticipated. So let's dive right into it, shall we? 
After Selena Quintanilla's tragic murder on March 5, 1995, several television and film projects went into development, including eight unauthorized biographies, six documentaries, and two unapproved biographical films about the Quintanilla family. As a result, Selena's father, Abraham Quintanilla, began working on his own authorized biographical project about Selena just mere weeks after her death. Abraham's intention in doing this was to put an end to any false rumors and to set the record straight on his daughter's story once and for all. In his own words, Abraham described the film as a way to immortalize Selena in a true, positive, and beautiful way and wanted to celebrate her life and to quiet and put to rest all the negative ugliness the media had portrayed. News of Abraham's desire to create an officially authorized film soon reached Hollywood and the desk of American film producer, Moctezuma Esparza, and I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation. Esparza then approached Abraham to both partner and produce the film alongside him. Abraham was also given unprecedented authoritative control over casting, script approval, and choosing a director. This is typically not done in Hollywood films that are telling true stories. Do you think they did it? Because I know the movie came out, what, in 1997? So that was just two years after she died, meaning they started the production on this the year before. So do you think they did it because her death was so fresh? I'm actually not sure because there was a lot of controversy that this was being done so soon after her death. Many thought that it was perhaps in bad taste to have this put out so quickly. But Abraham really wanted to tell the world his daughter's story in his own words. And I can respect a father for wanting to do that. It's just very interesting that they let him be involved to the extent that he was, because normally Hollywood doesn't do that sort of thing. On August 30th, 1995, Gregory Nava was brought on to direct the film and was mainly chosen because the other films he had directed were said to have a very uplifting and positive quality that dealt with very strong and tragic elements while giving moviegoers a passionate, powerful look at Hispanic life. I have not seen any of this director's other films, so I can't really comment to that. Nava firmly believed that the film should also focus on Selena's life rather than her death, with Nava being quoted as saying, I don't want to attend her murder. Before beginning his work on the script, Nava recorded interviews with the entire Quintanilla family in order to gather their personal stories about Selena to include in the screenplay. When the first draft of the script had finally been completed, Abraham expressed concerns about the inclusion of a scene depicting Selena and her boyfriend, Chris Perez, eloping, citing the singer's popularity with children and his concern that they could get the wrong message about the elopement being in his daughter's best interest at the time. I wonder if the real concern was that the reason they had to elope was he was strongly opposed to their marriage and he essentially made it so that was their last resort to be together. The film does touch on that, but there is a bit of revisionist history that goes on in the film as well. Abraham was also curious about how Nava had found out about the elopement to begin with, as it had primarily been a secret at the time. Nava revealed that he had gotten the information from Perez himself during an interview and had even confessed that Selena had actually coaxed him into the engagement and not the other way around as others had previously assumed. 
After a few days, Abraham finally agreed to the scene's inclusion, as well as an additional scene depicting Abraham accepting the newlyweds' decision to elope to show Abraham in a more positive light during the film. Yeah, he did not give them permission to elope. The scene does kind of come out of nowhere in the film as well. It is very out of character with how he was treating Chris the entire way up to that point. For the title role of Selena, over 21,000 people were auditioned, which was actually the second largest audition since the search for Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind in 1939. Selma Hayek has claimed she was offered the role of Selena, but refused because she wanted to play Frida Kahlo in the 2002 film Frida, and did not wish to play two different Mexican icons. Have you seen Frida? I have not, actually. It's been on my list for quite some time, and I even saw the Frida art exhibit when it came to town last year with my mom, and had really intended to watch it right after, but again, never got around to it. I hear it's very good, though. That's what I heard. I heard it was really good, and she looks great on the cover of the film portraying her. Hayek also felt that it was too early and would be far too emotional to base a film on Selena so soon after the singer's untimely death. Hayek's claim has been highly disputed, however, and many believe that she was offered the role in one of the many unauthorized Selena biopics instead. Jennifer Lopez would also respond to Hayek's claim in a movie line interview by describing it as an outright lie. The screen testing process was described as grueling and required nine minutes of singing and dancing along with reading eight pages of the script. Eventually, the role of Selena went to former fly girl Jennifer Lopez, who had previously worked with the director on the film In My Family in 1995, and her performance during the audition was described as among the strongest. After she had been cast in the role, Jennifer Lopez also became the highest-paid Latina woman in Hollywood history at the time, earning a then-unheard-of $1 million for the part of Selena. However, once the news broke that Lopez had landed the role, many media outlets as well as fans criticized the decision, due largely in part to Lopez being a New Yorker of Puerto Rican descent to play a prominent Texan of Mexican descent. During pre-production, Lopez stated, I know a few people were protesting, but in Corpus Christi, which was Selena's hometown, everyone has been really supportive. The director Nava even admitted that the backlash was a little hurtful and felt that the protesters should be celebrating that we have an all-Latino cast and that Lopez, one of our own, is becoming a star. To research her role, Lopez stayed with Suzette Quintanilla, Selena's sister, at her home in Texas and studied recordings and footage the family shared with her. By the end of her stay, the Quintanilla family all agreed that Lopez's body language, laugh, and even how she spoke were practically identical to that of the real-life Selena. They do look a lot alike, especially when she was younger and making this movie. Yes, the resemblance really is uncanny, and we watched a few clips of the real Selena in concert after I had watched the film, and she really does have the body language. She has the whole thing, especially the performance aspect, completely down. And it is very impressive. Lopez had originally expected to be providing her own singing vocals in the film, but since the film was being released so soon after the singer's death, it was believed that fans would not approve of hearing any voice other than Selena's. So Lopez was coached in lip-syncing, although she did sing the intro to Como La Flor, again I apologize for my pronunciation, in the Monterey concert scene. 
That's so weird that they had the audition focus so much on the person being able to sing, but then didn't have the person sing. From the sound of it, they did seem to intend for Lopez to provide her on singing, but I think it was reconsidered later into production, as fans probably were speaking out about it the entire time. So they didn't want to make them any more upset than they already were. And I tend to agree. It is a a sign of respect to keep the original vocals, especially, again, since it was so soon after her death. Lopez also had constant dance rehearsals throughout the entirety of filming. By August 8th, the Los Angeles Daily News announced that John Cena, who is of Puerto Rican descent, and Edward James Almos of Blade Runner fame and is of Mexican descent, had joined the cast as Chris Perez and Abraham Quintanilla. Edward James Almos would gain 40 pounds or 18 kilograms for his role as Abraham, and A.B., who was Selena's brother, found Almos's portrayal of his father to be extremely convincing, especially in the scene where Abraham was angered after finding out about Selena and Perez's relationship. John Cena often spent time with the real-life Chris Perez to further develop his character as accurately as possible. Jackie Guerrera wanted the part of Suzette Quintanilla so badly that she lied at her audition claiming that she was an experienced drummer when in fact she had never played the drums a day in her life before. When the truth finally came out, the real-life Suzette Quintanilla personally gave Guerrera her own private lessons. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it all worked out for her. I mean, this lying to get the role is not something that's rare. Wasn't it Anna de Armas lied about knowing English? And I think Andrew Garfield lied about something. There's been a history of actors lying in order to get a role. Basically, if you get your foot in the door, that is what they're looking for. I knew a lot of actors that would audition for things saying that you have to have 10 years of dance experience or you need to know how to play the piano. And they would not have experience in any of those things and still sign up just thinking they'll learn it when the time comes. Principal photography began September 1996 in Texas with Nava using locals as extras for the film. Over concern for the scene in which Chris Perez's character auditions to be the new guitarist in Selena's band would not come off as authentic, actor John Cena actually tricked the real-life Perez into visiting the set so that the director could shoot a close-up of his hands playing the riff during the aforementioned scene. After the film had been released, Seda would later lament that fans would often approach him on the street convinced that he could actually play the guitar and were often disappointed to learn that it was actually Perez performing the riff during that particular scene. Nava intended for scenes involving a musical performance to be integrated into the drama and to reflect what the characters were going through emotionally and what Selena was going through emotionally at that particular time. The opening scene, in which Selena performs in front of a jam-packed crowd at the Houston Astrodome, was actually shot at the San Antonio Alamo Dome on September 15, 1996, and had over 35,000 extras in attendance. The extras were not paid, however, but actually just given coupons for free Coke products. Ah, it's because Selena was sponsored by Coca-Cola. Lopez has admitted that she was nervous while filming this scene, since it would be the first time she had ever performed in front of a crowd that size. While filming the scene, many members of the audience, including Selena's own parents, were moved to tears at Lopez's uncanny portrayal of the late singer. 
Another scene in the film that proved to be an extremely emotional one for the cast and crew to shoot was set after Selena's death and was shot only once. Jackie Guerrero described the experience of filming the scene as both physically and emotionally draining and would comment that she could not imagine what it's like to be the Quintanilla family. After filming had been completed, Jennifer Lopez accepted her then-boyfriend Ojani Noah's engagement at the film's rap party at the Hard Rock Cafe in San Antonio, Texas. And with that, are you ready to get into the film, Selena? Yeah, let's talk about this movie. Our story begins with Selena Quintanilla, played by Jennifer Lopez, backstage at the Houston Astrodome with various members of her family, preparing to perform in front of the largest crowd the stadium has ever had in attendance. Her father, Abraham Quintanilla, being portrayed by Edward James Almos, walks the halls of the venue speaking to various members of the media about his daughter's upcoming concert and her first English-speaking album being released the following year. When Abraham finally reaches his daughter's dressing room, she emerges wearing a sparkly purple outfit with her mother Marcella, played by Constance Marie, right by her side. Selena is now ready to perform. Guided by her parents, Selena makes her way to the entrance of the stage with a look of excitement etched across her face. As Selena exits through the curtain, she is greeted by a literal stadium full of fans who all cheer wildly at the sight of her approaching the stage. Selena smiles and waves to her adoring fans with a joyous sparkle in her eye as the words Houston Astrodome, February 26, 1995, appear on the screen. Selena is then driven the remaining distance of the stage by a horse-drawn carriage as the crowd continues going wild, now chanting the singer's name in anticipation. When Selena finally takes the stage, she does not disappoint and kicks things off with a medley of some of the era's most iconic songs as the film's opening credits roll. Flashback to Corpus Christi, Texas, 1961, where a young Abraham is practicing an a cappella performance with his singing group, the Dinos. Are you familiar with a cappella at all, Ashley? I have actually listened to a little bit of a cappella, so I am picturing it in my mind. The next day, the Dinos arrive for an audition to perform at a local nightclub, but the owner, who turns out to be a racist, doesn't want to employ any Mexicans at his establishment. Undeterred, the Dinos drive across town and immediately book a gig at a Hispanic nightclub, but much to their dismay, the Dinos are quickly booed off the stage for performing what the audience refers to as gringo music. In fact, their performance goes so badly that it nearly incites a riot and the Dinos need to have a police escort called in just so that they can escape the venue safely. I guess some people take their music very, very seriously. Yes, it was like a doo-wop type music is what they were performing. And I guess Hispanic audiences are not big fans of old school doo-wop music. Flash forward to Lake Jackson, Texas, 1981. Abraham is now a much older man with a wife and three children working at a massive chemical plant. When Abraham returns from work that day, he picks up his guitar and unwinds by singing a song with his youngest daughter, Selena. Selena's performance that evening proves to be so remarkable that her father has an epiphany and quickly decides that he needs to start a band with Selena and the rest of her siblings, much to the dismay of his wife, who does not support Abraham's aspirations to restart his long-since-abandoned musical career. I mean, I can't blame her. They have three young mouths to feed. That is her logic, is she wants a steady job, she wants to be able to take care of her family, and the entertainment industry is anything but reliable. 
And I imagine in her mind, she was thinking, you failed this once, and now you're going to try to put our kids through this to fail again. I think that was definitely on her mind at the time. Though she does eventually come around to the idea under the condition that it remained just a hobby and a way for the family to spend more time together. Side note, the lip syncing on young Selena during these scenes is truly horrendous. And I apologize because the young actress is very good, but the lip syncing just was not there. So Abraham starts practicing with his makeshift Partridge family with Selena on vocals, her brother A.B. on guitar, and her sister Suzette on drums, though neither sibling actually knows how to play their instruments or even wants to be in a band for that matter. But Abraham insists and they all continue practicing together for at least 15 minutes every day. I think at this point, both Suzette and A.B. were in high school, so probably the last thing they wanted to do when they got home from school was to spend time with their family playing instruments that they didn't even know how to play. Suzette's character seems particularly against the idea, claiming that girls don't play the drums, and she just was very against being in this band, especially being a drummer. But she would come around to it later in life. One night before bed, Abraham comes to another realization. He needs to open up a Mexican restaurant, and just a few months later, Papagayo's Mexican restaurant is open for business. Additionally, Abraham also uses his restaurant as an opportunity to have his children perform regularly in front of a live audience. Though the restaurant does put a strain on Abraham and Marcella's marriage, it also helps to develop Selena's love of being on stage and singing in front of a live crowd. One evening, Abraham begins teaching his daughter how to sing songs in Spanish, though she does not speak the language and is not particularly fond of Spanish music in general. Abraham explains to Selena that the reason he wants his daughter to learn how to sing songs in Spanish is because of the traumatic event that happened to him and his band the Dinos when he was a young man. Time passes, and due to a poor economy, Abraham is eventually forced to close his restaurant and relocate his family to a smaller home in a Hispanic neighborhood. Even with these setbacks, Abraham continues to promote his children's band and books them a small gig at a local carnival, where Selena now performs many of her songs in Spanish. Though Abraham's wife Marcella does start to question some of the moral issues of having a nine-year-old start a career in the entertainment industry, Abraham maintains his belief that his children, and especially his daughter Selena, are going to succeed someday. So, Abraham continues booking gigs for his kids, and Marcella even teaches Selena a few dance moves she can use on stage. Flash forward to El Paso, Texas, 1989, where Selena is now played by an adult Jennifer Lopez, performing at yet another county fair, only this time it's to a packed crowd cheering her on, and she is loving every moment of it. After the show, Abraham confronts his daughter about her scantily clad mid-performance outfit change and lectures Selena about looking indecent on stage, though they do end up making up later in the evening. I get the impression that Abraham is a very overprotective dad, wants the best for his child, but is probably going about it the wrong way at times. They were also Jehovah's Witnesses, so he had both this overprotective side and also from his religion. That was not addressed in the film, and I feel like that actually is a little enlightening about his his character. I wish they had addressed that on film, actually. Yeah, it was something that was mentioned in the book I read, 
and is mentioned throughout, but Selena really never talked about her religion with the press, so it wasn't really well known. Sometime later, Selena is back at home sketching out costume designs for some upcoming shows when she is interrupted by the sounds of an electric guitar pulsating through the walls coming from downstairs. When Selena goes downstairs to investigate, she catches a glimpse of a long-haired, heavy metal rocker dude named Chris Perez, played by John Cena, as he shreds on his guitar, auditioning for Abraham to be the newest member of the band. Chris gets the job, but under the condition that he trim his long Metallica-esque hairstyle, which Chris reluctantly agrees to. When Selena and Chris finally do meet, they share an instant chemistry together and end up going out for pizza so that they can get to know each other a bit better. Should also note here that at this point, I think Chris Perez was 18 and Selena was 16 or 17, so they were really by far the youngest members of the band and the only two teenagers, so it makes sense that they would form this connection early on. It is difficult in the film to gauge how old Selena is supposed to be at times. I'm assuming Jennifer Lopez is much older than her character when she did this film, because Selena was so young when she passed away. But yeah, I did not know she was even supposed to be a teenager at this time, in all honesty. The band continues touring with Selena gradually playing larger and larger venues until one day when Selena and the band unexpectedly hear one of their songs on the radio. The song, called Como La Flor, ends up reaching number one on the Tejano music charts, and here's a little sample of that. News of the song's success soon brings morale within the Quintanilla family to an all-time high while Chris and Selena continue growing closer during this time. Eventually, Selena and Chris's affection finally turns physical and they soon fall head over heels for one another. One night, during a tour stop in Los Angeles, Chris invites a few of his hard rocker friends over to his hotel room and they proceed to completely trash the place until the police are finally called and Abraham is forced to pay for any damages that they've made to the hotel room. Obviously infuriated by this act of disrespect, Abraham attempts to fire Chris from the group but is somehow talked out of it by Selena's brother, A.B. So I don't have this in my portion, but this did happen. It wasn't with some of Chris's rocker buddies. It was with two other members of like the sound crew. And they did get fired, both of them. But Chris actually apologized and offered to pay for the damage. And he was forgiven and allowed to stay in the band. The film also portrays him as just sort of laying on the bed, playing his guitar, and not really partaking in any of the chaos going on around him. And the other men, it really was not established who these guys were. It just was a bunch of rocker dudes destroying a hotel room kind of out of nowhere. I really had no clue who these guys were supposed to be. I just assumed they were his friends. In the book, it's explained as like a, they were all drunk and play wrestling, and so the damage was accidental. They just got too out of control. More time passes until the day that Selena is finally booked for her first non-U.S. performance in Monterrey, Mexico, though there is concern that her Spanish may not be up to the standards of the Mexican media during her scheduled press junket. 
This proves to be a complete non-issue, though, as Selena's charisma and charm effortlessly win over every member of the press in attendance, despite her imperfect Spanish pronunciations. During the concert, Selena begins her performance in front of over 100,000 cheering fans, but the stage beneath her nearly collapses during one of the songs, so Abraham makes the call to end the show early due to safety concerns. This mid-show cancellation has the unintended consequence of infuriating the entire audience to such a degree that Selena must make the decision to go back out on stage and continue on with the show in order to avoid any potential rioting. I mean, can you imagine if Taylor Swift did this, just like in the middle of the set? She's like, meh, sorry, guys. It's over. It would be disastrous. And she is only 20 years old when this happens. And the fact that she did go back out there on a stage that could have potentially collapsed underneath her to finish her set and calm everyone down is very impressive. That's a lot of pressure to put on a 20-year-old girl who has never even performed in this country before. After this performance, Selena's career is catapulted to another level, though Selena does admit that it was the only time in her entire life that she had been scared while performing in front of a live audience. It is also around this time that Chris and Selena both confess that they have fallen in love with each other, which infuriates Abraham, who threatens to disband the entire group if the two continue on in their relationship. Some harsh words are exchanged, and Chris ends up leaving the bus to find his own way back to Corpus Christi, leaving Selena behind devastated. Undeterred, however, Selena and Chris continue their relationship back home and even get married in secret while Selena plans for an upcoming concert in El Paso. However, it doesn't take long for the media to catch wind of Selena and Chris's secret nuptials and begin spreading the news across radio and television. Surprisingly, when Selena finally meets with her father to discuss the issue, Abraham takes the news far better than anticipated and actually ends up apologizing to his daughter and accepting the two as husband and wife by welcoming Chris back into both the band and the family. Okay, this did happen. I thought when we were talking about it earlier, you meant that he gave them permission to elope before they eloped, but this apologizing and letting Chris come back to the band is true. It is true. Okay. It was my impression that this scene was created for the film, but you're saying this is an actual thing, that he really did do this. Yeah. This movie's getting more right than I gave them credit for. My apologies to the director. After their reconciliation, Selena, Chris, and the rest of the Quintanillas go back out on tour to a montage of Bitty Bitty Bom Bom. starting to get good yes this is a toe tapper i like bitty bitty bomb bomb so all in all things are going pretty great for selena right now she just got married to the love of her life her album sales are through the roof and she gets nominated for a grammy too critics are even calling her the next gloria estefan and with her first english language crossover album coming up complete with backing from a major record label and pr team things have nowhere to go but up from here Selena also starts to diversify by opening up Selena Etc. Boutique and Salon, with the president of her fan club, Yolanda Saldivar, played by Lupe Antaveros, handling various aspects of the business for Selena. Selena then travels to Los Angeles to attend the Grammys, where she wins the award for Best Mexican-American Album. 
After the launch of Selena's new fashion line, some of Selena's employees think it would be a nice gesture if they all chipped in to get Selena a present as a token of their appreciation. Selena's fan club president, Yolanda, volunteers to take the money that had been pooled from the other employees to buy Selena a gift and present it to the singer on everyone's behalf once Selena had returned from Nashville. Meanwhile, in Nashville, Selena records the song, I Could Fall In Love With You, and everyone in attendance agrees that the song will be Selena's next big hit. And here's just a little sample of that. Actually, one I think both this one and then the last one that we'll play. I didn't even know they were Selena, and I don't even know where I've heard them before or when, but I did know some of the words. We were both singing along to this song, and neither one of us had any idea how we knew the lyrics, but we did for some reason. It was just ingrained into our subconscious from hearing it long, long ago, I assume. After returning home, Yolanda presents Selena with a beautiful ring as a gift, but fails to mention the other people who had all contributed. The next time Selena and Chris are together, they fantasize about someday owning a farm and having children while Selena continues on with her career. Basically, having it all, really, and Selena couldn't be happier. One night, Selena is called into a late-night meeting with her father, and they discuss some serious accusations that Yolanda has been stealing money from other members of Selena's fan club, and that she had also gotten into some money problems with her previous employer that had been settled out of court. Abraham also believes Yolanda may be forging bad checks and tampering with the records at Selena's boutique as well. When Yolanda is confronted about this, she admits to the events that took place with her previous employer, but denies any wrongdoing towards Selena. Outside, Selena confronts Yolanda again in the parking lot, but Yolanda swears that she can prove her innocence if given just a few more days. From here, we return to the Astrodome concert from the beginning of the film. After the show on her tour bus, Selena lays with her mother while they discuss Selena's fears and excitement about everything the future may still have in store for her while she peacefully drifts off to sleep. After a short metaphorical dream sequence, we abruptly cut to the outside of a hotel surrounded by police officers and ambulances. Selena is being wheeled out on a gurney while media reports break the news that Selena Quintanilla has been shot by the president of her fan club, Yolanda Saldivar. The reports say that Selena had met up with Yolanda to retrieve the missing financial records when the incident occurred. Yolanda then barricaded herself in her truck while threatening suicide with the same gun she had used to shoot Selena. On her way to the hospital, Selena tragically passes away from her injuries. We close on the Astrodome, now completely empty, with Selena's microphone just where it had been during her performance while her singing voice still echoes through in the distance. After her passing, a candlelight vigil is held in Selena's honor as a montage of the real Selena appears on screen. It's sad. It is sad. It's a very, very tragic story. And that is the film Selena. What, what do you think of uh, what you've heard here today, Ashley? Well, I don't want to spoil anything. But I feel like they did a good job, from what I've heard, portraying 
Selena's life, her charismatic personality, and her stage energy. I think we had also talked a little bit about this, but it looks like they even got a lot of the costumes like spot on. Like a lot of the outfits JLo wore during the movie were iconic outfits that Selena had worn during different performances. Yes, during filming of one of the scenes, Suzette Quintanilla actually thought that Jennifer Lopez was wearing one of her sister's actual outfits, and she got really upset until she found out that it was just a replica. But that's just how much attention to detail was put into these outfits. It's very impressive. Any photo that I've ever seen of Selena, that outfit is somehow captured in this film somewhere. Well, let me tell you a little bit now about what happened after this film came out. Selena opened on March 21st, 1997, just two years after Selena Quintanilla's tragic death, and would go on to gross a total of $35.5 million domestically. Selena currently sits at 66% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 85 reviews, with a critical consensus stating, Selena occasionally struggles to tell its subject story with depth or perspective, but those flaws are rendered largely irrelevant by Jennifer Lopez in the title role. And I would have to agree with this assessment. Jennifer Lopez would also go on to win Best Actress at the Lone Star Film and Television Awards, and on December 4th, 2020, Selena the series premiered on Netflix with Christian Serratos in the title role. I have not seen this show, however. I haven't either. I hadn't even heard of it. I did not know it was even a thing until I was doing research for this. It's never been recommended to us on Netflix. So yeah, I'm not sure if anyone has seen the show and let us know if it's worth checking out. Please do. And finally, on December 14th, 2021, Selena was officially selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And that was the film Selena. What did you think about the movie? I have to admit that I do think that it is a very sanitized portrayal. This film was rated PG, and I don't think any other film we have covered for this has gotten that rating yet. Because usually when you are telling a tragic story like this, there is a lot of tragic things that are portrayed that can sway the film to be more adult. But this film really avoids that, and... At times, this does feel like a fun family film, up until the very end when things start to go wrong with Yolanda. Before that, this could be a Disney movie. This is a loving family who have a couple little bumps, but nothing serious, and it ends in tragedy. I think that maybe there could have been more to it, but... Maybe that is the story. Maybe this is just a story of a loving family and there really wasn't a lot of other controversial things going on and my expectations are completely unfounded. Before the murder, Selena's life really was PG. She didn't drink. She didn't do drugs. She spoke regularly to students at schools, urging them to stay in school and not do drugs. She really was a wholesome person and very good-natured and loving, and there really wasn't any controversy surrounding her. That is a rarity, especially in the music and entertainment business. So she was just genuinely a good human being 
whose life was ended far too soon from the sounds of it. And if that is the case, and I will find out, I'm sure, more details about it in a moment from you, Ashley, this film was done very well. From what I know about Selena and from what I've seen in the limited capacity, I think Jennifer Lopez did a very good job, and they did a very respectful tribute to the late singer. Now I do want to know if there was any more to this story that the film didn't cover, and I believe that is where you come in, Ashley. It sure is. Selena Quintanilla was born in Lake Jackson, Texas on April 16, 1971. The Quintanillas didn't have a lot of money, so Selena and her two older siblings, A.B. and Suzette, spent their time playing with their pet piglets and chickens and random household objects like bedsheets. Ah, the good old days of playing with bedsheets. I played with boxes and pillows, so... I did too. My mom owned a children's costume factory when I was a child, and she was a single mother, so I went there a lot. A lot of playing around with boxes. Abraham Quintanilla sang in a doo-wop group called Los Dinos in the early 1960s. They were somewhat well-known in Texas, but far from a commercial success. Abraham was forced to quit the band and worked for the Dow Chemical Company to support his family. He continued to play the guitar every night after work. Selena loved listening to her dad play the guitar. So much so that she started singing along to the harmonies by the time she was six. Abraham was so impressed by young Selena's perfect pitch, rhythm, and timing that he soundproofed their garage and brought home a microphone and instruments for his children, the drums for Suzette and a guitar for A.B. The family spent at least 30 minutes practicing every night, but often they would play for hours, both as a group and individually. It was in this garage that the band Selena y Los Dinos, which translates to Selena and the Guys, was born. They never mentioned the name of her band in the film once, believe it or not. It's probably because it's dropped pretty much as soon as she gets signed. That would explain it. In 1980, Abraham quit his job and opened a Tex-Mex restaurant in which he built a stage using borrowed tools and the cheapest wood money could buy. The restaurant did pretty well, and customers started lingering long after they finished their meal just to listen to Selena sing. About six months after the restaurant opened, a radio DJ recorded Selena singing and actually played it on air. Unfortunately, within one year of opening the restaurant, a recession hit, forcing Abraham to close shop and declare bankruptcy. Unable to find other employment, Abraham put all his time and energy into the band. He helped his brother run a trucking company during the week to make ends meet, and the family spent weekends playing anywhere that would have them. Think like carnivals, PTA meetings, retirement homes. If they were lucky, they got a gig at a wedding. Anywhere where you might see nine-year-olds performing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Money was tight at first, as gig earnings barely covered travel expenses. But Abraham eventually saved enough to move the family to Corpus Christi and bought a run-down 1960s tour bus without heat or electricity. By the time Selena was 11 or 12, Abraham decided it was time to move away from playing oldies cover songs and focus on authentic Tiano music, which is a fusion of authentic Mexican, polka, jazz, and country. 
This genre shift is what caused Selena to learn Spanish. You see, Abraham and Marcella did not previously teach their children Spanish because they lived in a predominantly white town and wanted to make it easier for their kids to assimilate into the community. It was also at this time that A.B. started to write and arrange original songs for the band. Throughout the whole duration of their career, A.B. served as a primary writer, arranger, and producer for the songs. That is touched upon briefly in the film as well. The family's big break came in 1984 when they signed with a Tiano record label and recorded their first album, which was a mix of original and cover songs. Selena started gaining popularity primarily with Mexican-Americans during the next few years. In 1986, 14-year-old Selena was on the cover of the Tiano Entertainer and regularly performed in front of thousands of people across Texas, 14 years old. Several albums were produced by 1987 when she first won Female Entertainer of the Year at the Tiano Music Awards, beating out the performer who won five years in a row. She would continue to win numerous accolades at this show throughout the rest of her career. In 1989, 18-year-old Chris Perez was scouted and brought into the band as a guitarist. A.B. is actually the one that discovered him, not Abraham. And A.B. was hopeful that Perez could play traditional Tiano music while simultaneously introducing rock and pop influences, which might help the band become more mainstream one day. The film does portray A.B. as being the big proponent behind Chris, and seems like he was the main reason he was hired. Yeah, at this time, A.B. was introducing more unique sounds to the Tiano music they were creating. Usually, the Tiana music would have instruments like harmonicas and accordions, but A.B. would synthesize those sounds on an electric keyboard, so he was really trying to help the band stand out. This same year, the band signed with EMI Latin Records. The executives decided it was time to drop the name Los Dinos and focus primarily on Selena. Although Selena felt guilty about this, she knew it would increase her chances of commercial success as her idol, Gloria Stefan, had done the same thing when she was signed. This decision paid off as she quickly became sponsored by Coca-Cola. As the two youngest members of the band, it was natural that Chris and Selena gravitated towards one another. But their relationship was strictly plutonic at first. You see, Abraham was extremely protective of Selena. He thought she was young and naive and never let her go anywhere without a chaperone. She would even sleep in the same room as her parents on tour. He was basically just very conservative, machismo, and quick to anger, which made everyone go out of their way to not cross him. However, he did love his family and genuinely wanted what was best for them and to protect her. He didn't want Selena to get hurt. After the couple connected during a trip to Acapulco, they soon started spending all their time together. They would sneak away to go to the movies, grab a bite to eat, or just walk around whatever city they were touring. They both agreed it would be best to tell as few people as possible about their developing relationship. But as weeks grew to months, they soon stopped caring about who found out, as long as Abraham remained in the dark. 1991 started out well for Selena. Buenos Amigos became her first song to hit number one on the Billboard Top Latin Songs chart, 
and Capital EMI decided it was time to expand Selena's tour schedule into Mexico. Due to her growing success, EMI also allowed Selena to record one English track for her upcoming album. Despite these successes, all hell broke loose after Suzette told Abraham about Chris and Selena's relationship. Abraham banned Chris from pursuing Selena and became increasingly difficult to be around. Tensions continued to rise until Abraham randomly stopped the tour bus one day and threatened to dismantle the band entirely. In response to this threat, Chris quit the band and returned to playing with the group of friends he was with before he joined Selena y Los Dinos. Chris and Selena continued to date and see each other whenever they could, but Abraham opposed their relationship no matter how hard Selena pleaded. With no other options in mind, Selena and Chris eloped on April 2nd, 1992, two weeks shy of her 21st birthday. They went to City Hall, convinced the clerk to waive the standard three-day waiting period for a marriage certificate, and were married during the Justice of the Peace's lunch break. That's actually a really cute story, and I wish they had portrayed that on film. The whole story as it's depicted in the book, which, by the way, the primary source material I used for this book was actually um, called To Selena with Love, and it was written by Chris Perez. I highly recommend reading it if you're interested in Selena. It's essentially a love letter and ode to her. It's, it's very cute. But she shows up at his hotel room like sobbing and it's just like, we got to get married. My dad will never come around. And so they did. So it was her idea. It was her idea. Okay. He actually, how he puts it, like briefly was like, no, I don't think we should do this. And she was like, there's no other way. My dad is never going to approve of you. News of their elopement spread within the hour. DJs broadcasted the news on the radio, while others called Selena's dad asking if the news was true. Although Abraham likely felt betrayed by Selena, he did accept the marriage and allowed Chris to rejoin the band. Selena and Chris settled in Corpus Christi. Over the course of their marriage, and as her commercial success rose, they purchased several vehicles. They both had a deep love of cars. They had five dogs, a python, and an aquarium headboard for their bed. There is a scene in the film where they are discussing all of the animals they want to get when they purchase a farm someday. So they are very big animal lovers, I got the impression. Yeah, in the book, it was portrayed as basically whenever Selena would see a puppy, she just could not buy one. One month before Selena's death, they purchased 10 acres of land where they planned to build a house for their children. They always planned to have and probably would have had. 1992 was arguably Selena's biggest year to date. Her album, Intra Imundo, shot to the top of the Latin charts, was the number one album on Billboard's regional album and the Latin Top 50 charts, and contained several hit songs. Finally, Selena y Los Dinos was starting to be seen as a commercial group. The band was invited to perform at a Latin Music Award show in Vegas and won the Regional Mexican Music Award. With Selena's growing popularity, the next step was to start playing even more shows in Mexico to increase international publicity. By this point, Selena was already hugely popular in Mexico. She was performing in gigantic amphitheaters, did nonstop press interviews, and could hardly leave the tour bus without being bombarded by fans. Such popularity would follow her into the States within the year. There are many reasons why Selena was so popular and beloved. First, 
She had a huge vocal range and captivated audiences with her stage presence. No two shows of hers were alike, as the band would read the crowd's energy and decide on the spot what song to play next based on the energy that the crowd was giving them. I wish more concerts were like that. I think that's a very cool idea. Yeah, how it was described as AB would basically be the one that would really be doing most of the monitoring, and then he would just yell out what song, and that's what they would play. It sounds like they had a set song to open and close with, but all the middle stuff was flexible. The scene in the film where Selena is performing in front of the crowd in Mexico, and they are on the verge of rioting, There is actually a moment where she is discussing that she will only be doing much more mellow songs. So she goes back out, again, reading the crowd, and in order to calm them, sings much more love-centric songs, ballads, things of that nature. And it works. That's probably hinting at this arrangement. Interesting. Because Selena was always worried about disappointing her fans, she put everything she had into each and every single show. She developed a sexy yet wholesome image, which helped her appeal to all audiences. Obviously, she was popular with boys and young women, but grandmas even liked her because she really was this perfect symbol for the Hispanic community. While she was obviously gorgeous, she also came from humble beginnings and was hardworking, virtuous, and deeply devoted to her family. And this image wasn't an act. Selena was incredibly empathetic and trusting. There really wasn't anyone she disliked or distrusted, hence why Abraham was more protective of her. Selena also had a soft spot for people who struggled. She spent time personally meeting fans with physical disabilities, recorded a public service announcement for a battered women's shelter, and regularly spoke and performed at schools advocating for children to stay in school and avoid drugs. She really does seem like a great role model from how you're describing her. I think a quote she gave during an interview the year before her murder sums us up well. When asked how she wanted to be remembered when she was gone, she stated, As, uh, not only as an entertainer, but as a person who who cared a lot. um, And I gave the best that I could. And I tried to be the best role model that I, that I possibly could and, and the best person that I could. I tried to help out. Selena recorded her fourth album with EMI Latin in 1993. Selena Live featured live recordings of her concert hits and three new songs. Each original song was in the top five on the U.S. Hot Latin chart. The album also netted her a Grammy for Best Mexican American Album. Her popularity extended to the States, and at this point she was playing at huge Texas amphitheaters in front of 60 to 70,000 fans. In addition to her love of music, Selena was always interested in fashion design. She started making her own accessories when she was young and always tinkered with her outfits before shows, making sure they were full of glitz and glam. In 1994, Selena decided it was time to expand her growing empire into clothing. She opened her first boutique, Selena, etc., in Corpus Christi in January 1994. She was heavily involved with all aspects of the business. In addition to designing the tags for the label, she personally hired her employees, many of whom were friends and family, and helped build and decorate that first shop. Her goal was to create dramatic pieces at affordable prices. 
When she opened her second boutique in San Antonio nine months later, Abraham suggested Selena make family friend and fan club president Yolanda Saldivar her personal assistant and boutique manager. Yolanda was in her early 30s when she first saw Selena perform in 1991. Side note here, the actress who plays her in the film was in her mid-50s. She was so entranced by the singer that she started going to every show near San Antonio and approached Abraham about starting a Selena fan club that she herself would run. Abraham loved the idea of the fan club and quickly accepted Yolanda into their social sphere as she seemed sincere, kind, and professional. She was even a bridesmaid in Suzette's wedding, which I just kind of find bizarre. When Abraham suggested Yolanda help manage Selena's clothing boutiques, he did not know that she was previously accused of embezzling $9,000 from a former employer, that she had recently defaulted on her student loans, and that she had a huge shrine in her home dedicated to Selena. It seems as though Abraham was the primary driving force behind putting Yolanda in this position. Is that right? Yeah, I've seen it both ways. I've seen it where some said Suzette suggested it and introduced them and some saying it was Abraham. So I think it was kind of a mixture of both of them. But they really did like Yolanda and accepted her into their family almost immediately. They did not foresee any of the events that would transpire. Even when they started hearing about some red flags, Selena at least overlooked them because of her trusting nature. Selena started to rely on Yolanda more and more in 1991. As a result, Yolanda quit her nursing job and moved to Corpus Christi to be closer to Selena. As she helped Selena make plans to open a third boutique in Monterey, Mexico, Yolanda was given access to Selena's company credit card and bank account. Meanwhile, Selena started making music videos, expanded her tour to South America, and headlined a music festival in Miami. She also released another Grammy-nominated album, a single of which became number one on the Billboard's Hot Latin chart. Selena was unstoppable come 1995. In January, she won 15 awards at the Tiano Music Awards, including Album of the Year, Female Vocalist of the Year for the seventh year in a row, Female Entertainer of the Year, and Song of the Year for Bitty Bitty Bom Bom. You would have to have a whole room in your house dedicated to awards if you won that many. That's that's crazy. 15? That's remarkable. She also started making plans for a perfume line, had a guest appearance on a Latin soap opera, and a small role as a mariachi singer in Don Juan DeMarco, which starred Faye Dunaway, Johnny Depp, and Marlon Brando. I know of that film. I've never seen it. I'm more curious now, knowing that she's in it. I know, maybe we'll watch it tonight and play Spot Selena. Let's do it. Everything was going so well until Selena and Abraham started getting loads of complaints about Yolanda. Most of the complaints were from Selena's boutique fashion designer and employees. Many employees quit, claiming Yolanda was manipulative, rude, and controlling. And her fashion designer also asked Selena to buy him out of his contract because he could no longer stand Yolanda. In addition to claiming that Yolanda was inconsistent with paying his salary, he suspected that she purposefully sabotaged the clothing items by removing buttons and cutting seams. Selena overlooked these complaints, assuming they were due to creative differences. Yolanda was one of her best friends, and Selena just couldn't believe what she was hearing. 
Yolanda was even given a key to Selena's home around the time she gifted Selena a gorgeous egg-shaped ring that Selena loved. Little did Selena know that the $3,000 to purchase that gorgeous ring came from her boutique employees and Selena's own company credit card. It sounds like Yolanda took the money from the employees, pocketed it, and then bought the ring with Selena's credit card. That's even worse. It's so fucked up. In early March 1995, Abraham found out that many members of Selena's fan club were not receiving the merchandise they paid for. On March 9th, he called a meeting with Yolanda and the family in which Yolanda couldn't answer any questions about where the fan club money was going. It's interesting. Instead of initially saying, like, no, I didn't do it, she would just say, like, I don't know. I don't know where it is. I don't know what's happening. That was portrayed in the film as well. As a result, Abraham banned Yolanda from the property and told her he would have her arrested for embezzlement if she stepped foot on the premises again. Despite this discovery, Selena continued to have frequent meetings with Yolanda for the next three weeks, both because she was reluctant to sever ties with her friend and also wanted Yolanda to return missing bank documents that Selena would need come tax season. Unsurprisingly, Yolanda never produced all the documents during these meetings and continued to assist that she did not embezzle money from the fan club. On March 11th, Yolanda purchased a revolver and hollow point bullets. Remember, those are the ones that are specifically used to like explode on impact and cause massive damage. At a gun store and shooting range, claiming she was a nurse and needed it for protection. Selena received a phone call from Yolanda on the evening of March 30th, 1995. Yolanda asked Selena to come to her room at the Days Inn Motel to pick up the rest of the missing paperwork. Once there, Yolanda broke down in tears and claimed she was raped, but she refused to go to the hospital. Selena returned to the motel the next morning and drove Yolanda to the hospital herself. Selena always suspected Yolanda had fabricated the rape, but this suspicion rose after no signs of sexual assault were detected by the rape kit. The pair then went back to Yolanda's motel room. Just before noon, Selena was shot twice in the back. She managed to run into the parking lot and identified Yolanda as the shooter before she collapsed. As she was carted into the ambulance, the egg-shaped ring fell out of her hand. That was also portrayed in the film. So some speculate that her taking that ring off was like the last straw for Yolanda. But of course, no one will ever know what happened in that hotel room except for her and she's not reliable. (laughs) Selena died at the hospital just after 1 p.m., two days before her third wedding anniversary and two weeks before her 24th birthday. 23 years old, so young. Back at the motel... Yolanda locked herself in her truck and repeatedly threatened to shoot herself with the same gun she had just murdered Selena with. During phone calls with hostage negotiators, Yolanda insisted she killed her best friend on accident and had been trying to kill herself because of how Abraham treated her. Hundreds of people gathered in the parking lot to watch the standoff, which was also broadcasted on TV, and cheered when Yolanda surrendered after nine and a half hours. Yolanda was interrogated at the police station and signed a confession in which she admitted to shooting Selena. Although most Americans outside of the Hispanic community hadn't heard of Selena at this point, her death had a huge impact on thousands of people. 
Vigils were held across the country in her honor, and 4,000 people gathered at the convention center to pay tribute to her on the night she was supposed to perform there. 50 to 60,000 people flocked to the convention center to see her casket, and she was buried underneath two feet of white roses, her favorite flower. A few days later, Governor George W. Bush, ever heard of him? Sounds a little familiar. Declared her birthday, Selena Day, and she was inducted into Billboard's International Latin Music Hall of Fame. Selena's home, boutiques, and the motel room where she died were turned into shrines in her honor. Yolanda was indicted for one count of first-degree murder on April 6, 1995. The jail where she was housed received numerous death threats and heard rumors that the Mexican mafia had even put a hit on her. Selena's English crossover album, Dreaming of You, was released in July 1995. It sold over 175,000 copies on the first day of its release, which at the time was a record for any female performer. As of 2015, the album sold 5 million copies worldwide, which made her, at the time of 2015, the second top-selling female vocalist of all time. Janet Jackson was the first. The hit single, Dreaming of You, also debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200, the first time for any Hispanic singer. And we would be amiss if we did not include Dreaming of You, because I have been singing it all week long. that all week long. Yolanda's trial started in October 1995 and lasted three weeks. Despite it being moved from Corpus Christi to Houston, hundreds of fans waited outside each day. The judge took extra steps to try to prevent the trial from becoming a media circus, possibly because another huge trial, the one of O.J. Simpson, ended the week prior. It's crazy how many huge trial media circuses there were in the 90s. The 90s were notorious for these long trials that were just media circuses. And if this was when OJ finished up, it was probably right around the time the Menendez brothers finished up too. Oh yeah, what a time. Cameras were not allowed in the courtroom. Jury selection was only allowed to last two days. And this is the most bonkers one. Opening arguments were limited to 30 minutes. The defense did not dispute that Yolanda shot Selena, but they claimed the death was the result of an accidental discharge during a suicide attempt. They also tried to argue that Yolanda initially didn't even know Selena was shot. To support their defense, they primarily relied on large chunks of the hostage call in which Yolanda was crying and repeatedly claimed that Selena was shot by accident during a suicide attempt. Yolanda did not testify, and the defense did not cross-examine Abraham, likely for fear of how doing so would be perceived by the jury. It would not look good to interrogate a grieving father. Various employees from Days Inn were called to testify for the prosecution. The witnesses spoke about seeing Yolanda run towards Selena with a gun, calling her a bitch after she was shot, and calmly retreating to her room afterward. They further claimed Yolanda started saying the shooting was accidental only after the idea was suggested to her by the hostage negotiator. 
They also showed pictures of the pool of blood on the ground to illustrate how hard it would have been for Yolanda to not have known Selinda was shot. She would have had to step over this huge pool of blood to get back into the hotel room. Was Selena shot in the stomach or where was she shot? In the back. Oh, okay. So that would be another thing I'm sure they talked about. If someone's shot in the back, it suggests they were running away or walking away from the person. That's what I was thinking too. In closing arguments, in just typical flamboyant fashion, the prosecutor held the gun to his head and let the jury examine it to show how difficult it would have been to accidentally pull the trigger. I think during the opening argument, too, the prosecutor had the gun pointed at his head the whole time. The jury deliberated for two hours before returning a guilty verdict. Yolanda was given the maximum sentence of life in prison. She will need to serve at least 30 years before she is eligible for parole. The judge also ordered that the gun used to kill Selena be chopped up into 50 pieces and scattered in a bay in Corpus Christi. What a fun court order to write. I didn't realize judges could ask for things like that to be carried out. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they write a court order and serve it, then you can be held in contempt if you don't do it. Interesting. Yolanda was initially housed in isolation due to death threats. She has given several televised interviews and continues to claim her innocence. I think we tried to watch one of these and had to turn it off because it was just, she's very off-putting. And she is very clearly full of shit as well. Selena's family established the Selena Foundation to help children in crisis and low-income individuals. The foundation raises funds through donations, album sales, and merchandise. It also operates the Selena Museum in Corpus Christi. 65,000 people attended a tribute concert for her in 2005. The concert was televised and became one of the most viewed Spanish language programs in history. The United States Post Office also released a Latin Legends Memorial Stamp honoring her and several other Latin artists in 2011. Chris Perez formed his own band a few years after Selena's death. Two of the band members actually played with him in Selena y Los Dinos. Their first album, which featured two songs inspired by Selena, won a Grammy in 1999 for Best Latin Rock Album. And that is the true story behind Gregory Nava's Selena. What did you think, Remy? I think that it is a very tragic tale. It really makes you think that if Selena hadn't passed away when she did, if she would have had the career that Jennifer Lopez ended up having after all of this. I was not familiar with Selena hardly at all before starting this particular episode, and it is really impressive how much this girl accomplished, especially at such a young age. It seemed like she had nowhere to go but up. It seemed like she had a good head on her shoulders. It seemed like she had morals. It really is a tragedy. Hearing the true side of things as well, the movie did a very good job of telling her story. This movie was even more accurate than I originally thought. I think it was done very well, and I think that her story was done justice in this. They did exclude a lot of the tragic elements that happened at the end, and I understand their reasoning for doing that. Do you think that's something that should be included in something that happens so soon after someone's death? 
Or do you think it's more respectful to focus on the life rather than the demise? I think if this movie were remade today, then some of that ending stuff about the murder definitely would have been in there. But I think the decision to omit that was smart at the time because this murder really did impact so many people. And I think it would have been kind of re-traumatizing to have it depicted on the screen. And I think by omitting that, it really does push the focus on to Selena and not this woman who committed this unforgivable act out of, I don't even know, anger, possession, jealousy? I would assume jealousy. From the interview we saw with Yolanda, she seemed like a very sad, miserable person who clung on to Selena because she was beautiful, she was talented, she was rich, she was successful. She was everything that Yolanda wasn't. I do think that that is what ended up motivating her in the end. Yeah, I think the threat of losing Selena as a friend was really the breaking point for her. And it was kind of like, if I can't have you, no one can. Usually that kind of motive is something we see in intimate relationships, but I can definitely see it playing out across different forms of relationships as well. I would also agree that I think the film did take the right approach in not focusing on Selena's death. The movie really is about Selena's life. If you were to switch over to that side of her story, Selena's story would suddenly become Yolanda's story at that point in time. I don't think Yolanda's story is the important one. I don't think Yolanda should be the focus. And I think having Selena and her life being the priority was the right decision. This will have to be one we keep an eye on because she will be eligible for parole after serving 30 years. So that will be coming up in 2025. Just a few years away. I would be surprised if she got paroled, but crazier things have happened. I would too. The parole boards don't like it when someone continues to say that they are innocent, as Yolanda has done. I think we have finally reached the portion of our show where we give this film our official verdict. We've explained how this worked all in season one. We'll give you a quick rundown just in case this is your first episode. Every week, we will be giving the film that we discuss a verdict. It can be either guilty, meaning that they didn't get any of the information accurately, Mistrial, meaning that they got some information correct, but there is still some pretty big holes or liberties taken with the story. And finally, the highly coveted not guilty verdict, which means the story did generally portray everything accurately and is an honest portrayal of the events as they transpired. Ashley, would you like to kick things off with your verdict this time? Yeah, I do. I think we got another not guilty on our hands here, Remy. This movie really seems like it got, from what I heard, it sounds like most, if not all, about what was depicted in the movie was accurate and did happen. It sounds like Jennifer Lopez did a really good job portraying Selena, both in her stage presence, her look, and her carefree, loving, trusting personality. 
I am also pretty impressed that Abraham did come across as overbearing at times. I would have assumed with him as an executive producer that he would have wanted to simmer that down. It sounds like he really didn't. So I didn't hear anything about what you had shared that wasn't very close to the actual events, if not spot on. I totally agree with you. I originally did think that liberties were taken to possibly portray Abraham in a more positive light, but I am eating those words as this movie is pretty dead-on accurate with everything. Abraham is portrayed honestly. Selena is portrayed honestly. It's a very honest, heartfelt portrayal of this woman. This film does deserve a not guilty verdict. A good start to the new season, Ashley. Two not guilty verdicts. This film is free. What do we have coming next week? So next week, we're definitely going to be shifting into a different territory. We're going to be talking about The Informant, starring Matt Damon, which is a movie I've never seen. I've recently started the book, and although it does have a lot to do with white-collar crime that I'm not as well-versed in, it is turning out to be an extremely interesting read. And I've never seen the movie. I didn't know anything about it when you even suggested us covering it. I have seen this movie. I saw it, I believe, when it first was released on a DVD screener back when I was living in Los Angeles. I really like this movie. It is about a idiot, basically, who gets into so much legal trouble all because he just can't keep his mouth shut. I just found it to be a very interesting story that, frankly, I can't wait to discuss. I really do like this film. It's been years since I've seen it. If you have not seen it out there, high recommend for The Informant, starring Matt Damon, directed by Steven Soderbergh, another brilliant director. And in the meantime, please, if you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe. And you can also follow along and interact with us on Instagram at Criminal Adaptations. We hope to see you there, and we can't thank you all enough for joining us again for Season 2. We hope you stick with us. We have a lot more great true crime stories to go over. Reach out to us. We will be glad to chat with you guys. We'll be glad to give you guys shout outs on the show. We are trying to engage our audience. Thank you all so much. We will see you again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>